Welcome back. We're doing Why Do We Pray? Part 5, God's Will and Faith Killers. Uh, this whole time we've been talking about um, how do we pray and why do we pray and what's the purpose in prayer. And we, we pretty much saw that uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 7 through 13, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the, the disciples said, uh, what, how do we pray? And so then the Lord taught them, this is how you pray. And we've noticed that this is broken up into about five parts. You have worship, uh, worshiping and thanksgiving. Always, is, And we talked about how thanksgiving is the battering ram for breakthrough. Uh, the second part is your assignment and your calling, which says your kingdom come, your will be done. And so this is the part where we go set captives free. We're, we're actually advancing the kingdom of God. We're coming against the kingdom of darkness. And we're establishing God's will on earth. And we're bringing his, God, his kingdom here. And the next part after that would be provision. Uh, how we pray for God to provide for us. You know, give us this day your daily bread. And the next part is forgiveness and peacemaking. Uh, and then the last part is protecting us. So uh, there's these five major parts of the prayer that we're pretty much expounding on right now. Uh, we spent the last couple times, uh, actually the last three times, uh, there were two sessions where we just talked about Thanksgiving and worship and communion with God. And then last time we entered into uh, talking about advancing the kingdom of God and how there's actually an enemy that we're coming against. And now we're going to talk about um, God's will and what that really implies. And we're going to go in a little bit more depth. Last time we talked about the devil, how the devil's really in control. And that a lot of people will say, well, God's in control but the misunderstanding, we, we saw many scriptures there where in 1 John chapter 5, 19, it says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Um, in Luke chapter 4, 6, it says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I'll give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. So we see already that the devil is the one that is ruling over the world. And that's partly because uh, it says that it's been given to me. And if you uh, study about authority of the believer and dominion of the believer, you'll also see that man was given authority over the earth, but when he decided to trust in the devil, the scripture says in the, in the book of Romans that we become slaves of him whom we obey. And so when, the de when, the, when, when Adam and Eve decided to submit to the devil and his lies and deceit, they became slaves to him. And so if you notice in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, it says, it says uh, he showed them all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And to, it says, to you I'll give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me. God didn't give it to him. People gave it to him. God gave people, earth, gave him dominion over the earth. Then the people on earth who submitted to the devil forfeited all of their rights and their authority to the devil. So now he has his authority. And I don't have time to go into authority or dominion of the believer. I have an entire teaching on that. You can look that up. And I have CDs here uh, in the house. And online we have, we can also look it up. It's called Dominion and Authority of the Believer. And it's a 45-minute teaching strictly on teaching how we, our authority was taken away and how we got it back in Christ. Um, so we don't have time to go into that. But what we need to know is, number one, that the devil is in control. If we don't know that, we don't know what we're coming up against. If we don't recognize that there is an enemy, then we don't realize that we have work to do. We just think that whatever happens is God's will, and we don't have anything, any power to change. It actually starts to defeating our prayers. When we start believing that God is in control of everything, then it's hard for me to pray because now when I pray, I start believing that I'm coming against the will of God. 
you know? I, there was a point in my life where I completely stopped praying because I didn't see the point in praying. If my prayers weren't going to make a difference, if God's will is going to happen anyway, which is the second thing we learned, that God's will is not fate. We've learned that God's will is his desire. The scripture says in Ezekiel, it says, I, I desire that none of the wicked should perish. And the scripture says that my father wills, check this out, my father wills that none of these little ones should perish. It's Matthew chapter 18, verse 14. It says, so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So we already see that God has a will that none should perish, but people die all the time and go to hell. So if God's will was unthwartable, okay, then we couldn't pray for things to change. If God's will was unthwartable, then according to this scripture right here, so it is not my will, not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, that would mean that nobody would perish. But we already know that's not true. We already know according to other scriptures in the Bible that people perish all the time and they're going to hell right now. They're already standing condemned unless they receive Christ and for the, for the remission of their sins, for, for, for him to, to take away their sin and to cancel their debt that they owe against God, if they don't receive that and, and walk in new life and become a new creation in Christ in faith, confessing him as Lord of their life, then they will perish. We know this. So we know, we know this, that not everything that happens is God's will. And so therefore we also know that fate isn't God's will, but God's will is simply his desire. God's will is simply his desire. And God's desires are violated on a daily basis. And so, this actually helps us understand the purpose of prayer. That prayer is actually how we enforce the will of God. Okay? That's the point of prayer. All right? Our prayers make a difference. That's the third thing we learned last time. So, number one, we learned the devil's in control. We have to advance the kingdom of God against the devil. Second thing we learned last time was God's will is his desire and not fate. And the third thing we learned was that our prayers make a difference. So we're picking up right there. Um, we're picking up right back into our assignment. And we're going to expound on these points a little bit um, and build faith in the effectiveness of our prayers by studying the word and what it says about our prayers. Um, so first of all, what are some, what are some things we've, we've talked about um, before? Like, if somebody doesn't have a prayer that's been answered, the first things that they start to say, they start to spout out, are, um, well, maybe my prayers weren't answered like the church answers, you know? Fill in the blank. You know, God's will, they'll say, for instance, well, maybe it's not God's will. All right, so we've already discovered last time that not everything that happens is God's will, right? So that answer isn't a perfect answer, okay? But it's a fallback answer. It's like this cop-out. Like, people don't want to have faith, so they... Just believe this this uh, this doctrine, you know. The second thing is God's timing. People say that all the time. So there's there's some fallback answers, okay? Like God's will, like God's timing, like what about this? The sick person's faith. All right. Now these are all have dangers in in and of themselves. We're going to talk about them. We're going to expound on them. Um, why they're not perfect answers, okay? And things of that nature. Alright? So, first of all, the number, thing, the number one thing you'll notice about these three answers, and these are like the most common, the most common answers, depending on what group you're a part of, okay? Uh, you know, from the church I grew up in, it was always God's will and God's timing. That's why your prayers weren't answered. You know, oh, oh, also in God's glory. For the God, God didn't answer your prayers for His glory. 
That was another one. It was just... That completely violates the scripture. <laughs> and I'm going to get to that in John 14. It completely violates... that. This answer right here completely violates the scripture. All right. So, and they actually all kind of do. But check this out. Um, the first thing you'll notice about these answers, these rebuttals to why your prayers aren't being answered. Okay? The problem with these is these don't deal, these always point the finger at someone else. God, it's God's fault. God's timing is God's fault. The sick person, well, they didn't have faith. You see what I'm saying? Um, and it never, it completely steers completely away from self-examination. Which is the problem. Now, there's some biblical evidences of actual real reasons that are in the Bible, you know. Um, and I meant to write some of this stuff down. I didn't. Unbelief, number one. We're going to talk about some of that. Okay. But here's what I'm, I'm going to name some, and then I'm going to talk to you about how they all really have to do with the same thing. Jesus, there's some things that the scripture says, you know, uh, this is why your prayers are being hindered. Okay. There's scripture verses that talk about unforgiveness. Uh, or like harbored sin, like if you're not, if you're, if, if you still got sin in your heart, if you, if you cherish sin in your heart, it says that our prayers are hindered. He does not listen to those who cherish sin in their heart, not discerning the body of Christ, lack of peace with your spouse and wrong motives. In other words, not being kingdom minded and living in blatant sin. Now here's the thing about this. Jesus doesn't talk about all that. Jesus only talks about one thing. He talks about unbelief. And this is what we're going to really focus on right now. Jesus talks about unbelief. Now, what I'm going to challenge is all these other things that fall in line, you know, they say, well, unforgiveness will hinder your prayers. Okay. I'm still going to say that only unbelief hinders your prayers. And the reason why is because whenever you don't forgive, what you do is you cheapen the, you cheapen the cost that it, that it took to pay for that person's sin. You take the cross, and I believe, when you don't forgive somebody, you scorn it. You scorn the cross. You trample on it. You say it meant nothing. And that's where all of our faith comes from, is the cross. Without the cross, we don't have remission of sins, and forgiveness of sins, the removal of our sins, debt cancellation. Without the cross, we have no debt cancellation. Without the cross, we have no righteousness. Without righteousness, we don't get our prayers answered. The scripture says that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. So if I'm not righteous, we talked about this in another series, another series we talked that we preached on. Uh, talk, uh, the title of that one is Walking in Righteousness, about how it's the prayers of the righteous that availeth much. So if I don't believe that I'm righteous, then I can't even have my prayers answered, you know, because I don't believe that I'm righteous. It's unbelief. But it's the prayers of the righteous that avail of much. So if I know that I'm righteous, then my prayers have power. They have power according to the book of James. So whenever I decide not to forgive somebody, what I'm actually doing is I'm trampling on the cross and I'm saying that it has no power and no effect. And so if I have unforgiveness, the truth is I just have unbelief. I don't believe in the power of the cross to be able to forgive their sins. So that lessens the power of the cross. If I... If, if, if I have a weak gospel, then there's no deliverance for me. There's, my prayers will be hindered because of unforgiveness. Because the, thing that I, the very thing that I'm holding is the very thing that counters what I'm believing in. You see what I'm saying? All right, check this out. Not discerning the body. Again, we're talking about unity in, in the book of John, chapter 15, 17. The book of John 17. It talks about unity. 
Jesus was praying that we would become completely one so that we could further the kingdom of God. It says that. It says that in the book of John, chapter 17, that, here, let's just go there. John 17. It says right here, I do not ask for them, John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their mouth, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. See, the thing about the cross is, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, if we receive that, we no longer fall short of the glory of God. So according to the book, man, it says that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? So whenever I... When I start to lessen um, the meaning of the cross, or when I start to lessen the effectiveness of what the cross did for me, I start to enter into unbelief. And what the cross did for us was it forgave sin and it provided unity. It provided a, See, the thing is, sin severed us from God. Sin severed us from the body. And in Christ, now I'm one with the body. So if I don't discern the body, and if I don't respect the body, and if I have dissension in the body of Christ, it can hinder my prayers because I'm officially walking in unbelief. Because if I'm walking in faith, then we'll have unity. If I'm walking in unbelief, then we'll have disunity. So it all comes back down to unbelief again. Lack of peace with your spouse. It's the same thing, exactly the same thing. The, the, the marriage relationship is a perfect picture of our relationship with God. So when you violate anything in marriage, you're actually, again, you're trampling on a prophetic sign. Uh, you're prophetic on this a signpost of what Jesus did for us, bringing us to become one with him in marriage as the bride to her husband. So whenever we have this unity in our spouses, then that hinders our prayers as well. Because we are not walking in faith, even in that. Make sense? Wrong motives. Again, we're not being kingdom-minded. According to Matthew chapter 6, 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All the things that you're worried about, all the things you're stressed about, the things you're probably praying about. So we have to seek first the kingdom of God. The scripture says um, in Psalm chapter 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The key, though, is to having answered prayers, is to have a heart that delights in the Lord. So when we are seeking first the kingdom of God, instead of our own kingdom, that's when our prayers get answered. Okay? Check this out. He doesn't, if you talk, if, if you actually study Jesus, Jesus doesn't talk a whole lot about unanswered prayers. He mainly talks about how to get your prayers answered. Okay? Um... So if you, we're going to keep on going here. So we see here, uh, Jesus did not, so there's, there's a few ways that Jesus did not teach us how to pray, okay? But we, we teach everybody how to pray, all right? So let's, let's go over here. Let's go over to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, and it says right here, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. All right, so here's the problem with this, many people will say, not my will, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, right? And so here's what happens, dude. People pray this all the time. It's like this super Christian tag at the end of all of our prayers. If it be thy will, or not my will, but yours be done. It's like a super spiritual, man. It's like, it's so prideful, to be honest with you. And it's actually, it's sort of prideful, but it's also, it's just very devil-minded. 
Okay? So here's the thing. When people pray, they don't know what God's will is. Okay? So immediately when people pray this, there's a lack of confidence. Okay? Well, confidence is faith. So if you lack faith, Scripture says if you doubt, then you won't actually receive what you're praying for because of your doubt. So when people pray this prayer, not my will, but your will be done, the reason why they're praying this is because they don't know what God's will is. They're unconfident. They lack faith. They don't really know what God wants in this situation, mainly because of a lack of knowledge. They don't know what God wants. They don't realize the promises that God has given them. And so they just fall back on this thing. It's like they take a penny and they throw it and toss it into the wishing well, and they just say, well, I hope something will happen, you know? Heads or tails, you know? They don't have a clue. And if you're praying like that, why are you even praying? You know? To get your hopes, you know, up and then and not have them come through? The scripture says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. People who pray like that get discouraged. Because God never answers their prayers. <laughs> God never answered my prayers when I prayed like that. I'm just telling you right now. Alright, check this out. Luke 22, 42. Jesus prays this prayer. But check this out. Jesus prayed it for a totally different reason than why we pray it. Check this out. According to John 3, 14, Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 20, 17, Mark 8, 31, Matthew 12, 40, John 2, 19, and Mark 14, 58, Jesus prophesied in every one of those instances. He prophesied about his death and resurrection. Jesus already knew Way before he prayed this prayer in the garden, sweating blood, asking God to take this cup from him, he already knew in all these other passages he was going to die. He already knew that he was going to die. He already knew that he was going to be raised again. But there's something about it. He got into this work. He got into the garden. And he said, man, I wish I didn't have to go through this. God, if there's another way, speak to me. But here's the thing. God didn't speak to him a new word. He'd already spoken to the word. Now he's going to have to obey the word. The difference between what Jesus did and what we do is that Jesus already knew. He already knew the will of God, which was he was going to die and he was going to raise again. Jesus already knew this. So when he prayed this prayer, not my will, but your will be done, what he was doing was he was submitting. He was submitting to God's word for him. He was submitting to the will that he already was aware of. He was already aware of this will. Not my will, but your will be done. In other words, you want me to die, so I'll go to the cross. You, that's exactly what that means. It wasn't, I don't know what's going to happen. Whatever happens, happens. If it be thy will, I'm going to toss up a coin and hope everything turns out all right in my favor. No, somebody, <laughs> that's not what he was doing, man. He was totally submitting to God. When he said, not my will, but your will be done, what he was essentially saying was, yes, sir, I will obey you, I will follow you, I will die, I will do whatever it takes to do whatever you say, I will fulfill your commandment for my life. You know, and the thing is, you know, he was waiting for a word from God, he wasn't waiting for coincidence. What we do all the time, though, is we don't wait for a word from God, we totally just wait for a coincidence. We say, well, all these doors lined up, it must be from God. That's not the way it works, man, that is not the way it works anywhere in the Bible, Nowhere in the Bible does it just line up and they're like, well, it must be from God. That's not how it happened. They prayed about it first. Now, there were moments where they, where they tested God in this, whenever uh, the, the servant, for instance, of Abraham went out to go look for a wife for Isaac. And he said, let the woman 
who feeds me, and not just me, but my camels too, that one will be the servant. That's going to be the woman that Isaac's supposed to marry. And if not, then she's not. So he threw this thing up, right? But he put it to God in faith, believing he was going to find a wife. It wasn't a, a chance thing. It wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? It's crazy. He, he put something out there and said, okay, God, let this happen. Gideon. He, he was hearing God's voice. He already heard God's voice to go. He already had a word from God to go and lead the armies of God. And then Gideon said, if that's really you, then let the, let the what do you call that thing? The lamb skin and fur. What is that thing called? A sham? A chamois? <laughs> that's what we call it. <laughs> anyway, let the, uh, the fleece, that's what it was. The fleece be wet and the ground be dry in the morning. And the next day he goes, well, how about this? So all the ground be dry, but the fleece be, I mean, all the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. So he's putting God to the test on this thing, you know? That's another thing. People always say, oh, don't put God to the test. You don't know what that means, man. You don't know. In the book of Malachi, it says, test me in this. You're supposed to test God. You're supposed to test God for the good things. You're not supposed to test God for the evil things. When he said that, do not test the Lord your God, he was saying, don't violate the word of God. Because he was quoting Deuteronomy which is actually talking about how they tested the Lord and grumbled and complained. And, and then they, they, they had unbelief and they tested the Lord. The Lord said to do this and they did this instead. Said to do this and they did that. They tested the Lord. It's like if my son is about to go touch the light socket and I said, don't touch the light socket. And he tested me. So now I have to spank him. Or worse, he sticks a fork in there and gets shocked, you know? Because he tested me. See, there's testing that's good, and then there's testing that's bad. The scripture says in Malachi, I believe, it says, test me in this. Give your tithe and see that, that if the heavens won't pour out on you a blessing. So we are supposed to test God in some things. And there's, but there's some things we're not supposed to test God in. What it means is don't test the wrath of God. Don't test the judgment of God. You test the goodness of God. You can test the goodness of God. That's something that we don't, people don't teach, man. But we can test the goodness of God by being obedient to his commandments. Okay, so you see other other situations whenever they when they when they when they cast lots for who would become the next apostle, you know. Uh, but they prayed about it and then they chose Matthias. Now some people think that that might have been, some people believe that might not have been a legitimate you know calling, and then Paul was actually supposed to be the twelfth apostle. But um, there was many apostles. It seems like actually, if you read the book of Acts and read the letters, there's more than just twelve apostles. There's several apostles. So. Um, anyway, that's kind of beside the point. But my point is this, that, um, never, like, they, whenever they actually did these things that looked like chance, it was always in faith, you know? It was always in faith. But they always received a word first. Every time, man. Gideon talked to him first, you know? So, it, we always have to remember this. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. What faith does not come by, faith does not come by coincidence. You know, and what I'm talking about here is everybody's well, everything happens for a reason. Don't get me wrong. I do believe that there are a lot of things that God orchestrates because of the prayers of his people. You know, because of the prayers of his people, God orchestrates divine appointments and things like that. But I do not believe in coincidental faith building. I believe in hearing the word of God and trusting the word of God despite what I see because see faith comes by hearing and fear comes by sight. 
If you study the, in the Word of God, you'll see it all the time. They would see things and then doubt, you know? But they would hear the Word of God and believe. Perfect example is Peter when he's walking on the water. He heard God. He said, Jesus, if that's you, they saw Jesus on the water and it says they were afraid. They thought it was a ghost. They saw it and they were afraid. They heard it and he had faith. Fear not, it's me. If it's you, tell me to come out of the water. Okay, so he gets on the water. He starts operating in faith based off the word that he heard. And then he saw the wind. And then he began to doubt. So we see right now that faith comes by hearing, but doubt comes by seeing. And that's why the scripture says that we walk by faith and not by sight. All right? So if that's true, this is pivotal, man. Faith comes by hearing. And so we walk by faith, not by sight. The scripture is very clear that sight kills faith. Sight kills faith. Sight kills faith. So if we are always dependent on coincidence, it's only a matter of time before what we see kills our faith. Okay? And chances are our faith's already killed. Chances are we don't believe for the supernatural. We just expect some coincidence and then we tag everything as supernatural. But not everything is supernatural. It's got to be undeniable. That's really, that's the move of God. When God, God doesn't want you to question, well, was that from him? No, he wants you to know that was from him. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. You know? All right, check this out. So John chapter 2, verse 33 through 5 says, When the time ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to do. Okay, so, number one, we talked about how, how people will say, Well, God's will, right? That's why people, well, God didn't answer your prayer. But we already see that God's will doesn't always happen. All right? And according to this scripture, Jesus prayed this prayer in Luke chapter 22, not my will. It wasn't that he didn't know God's will when he prayed that. He knew God's will. He was submitting to it. But when we pray that prayer, we don't know God's will. That's why we're saying it. We're just tossing it up like a coin. And that's not. And my point is we're not supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be hearing the voice of God, obeying the voice of God, believing the voice of God, no matter what we see, no matter what coincidence comes our way, no matter what door opens or what door closes. People say that all the time. Well, God will close a door and then he'll open a door. You know, that... They take that scripture out of context, Ben. Like, could you possibly find that one for me? Which one is it? Um, he opens doors that no man can open and closes doors that no man can close. I'd like to read that one in context here in a minute. But I'll keep going while you're looking for that. All right, so this one right here, check this out. This is the timing of God, okay? Jesus already knew the, okay, Jesus already knew the will of God. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, 2 verse 3 through 5, it says that his, his mom said, um... What does this have to do with me, right? My, my hour has not yet come. Okay, so listen. If there is anyone that knows the timing of God, I would say that that person would be Jesus, right? If anyone knows the timing of God perfectly, it would be Jesus. And his mom comes up to him and says, hey, they have no wine. And he's like, what does that have to do with me? My, my hour has not yet come. And she looked at him and says, Hey, do whatever he tells you to do. She just bypassed the timing of God. She pulled something down from heaven that wasn't for her time. That wasn't even for his time at that point. 
So <clears throat> that reference is uh, in Revelation at the very beginning of uh, the introduction to the church in Philadelphia. Uh, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Where is that again? Revelation what? Revelation 3, 7. Revelation 3, 7. It says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Okay, for, for, now watch this. Listen. See, when people talk about the doors that are opened by God and the doors that are closed by God, there's a problem with this. They are waiting for the door to open before they think that it's even God. Mm -hmm. They're waiting for the door to close to say, oh, well, maybe that was God. But they really don't know. They just go to this theology that coincidence is not really coincidence, that coincidence is God. I mean, we might as well just take Yahweh out of there and just put his name as coincidence. This is, uh, this is a, an abomination. This belief is horrible. This coincidence belief, this is... Oh, awful. Check this out. Look, don't get me wrong. God orchestrates some things. Romans chapter 8 says, He is so good that He can turn all things towards the good of those He loves Him. Okay? So that's the worst case scenario. If something goes wrong, that it's just going to turn out to good. Because God is so good that He can turn even evil things. But it doesn't mean that He will perfectly that that evil thing should happen. Okay, check this out. Listen. Right here, it says, I have set before you an open door. You know, what, you know what's important about this passage? This angel, the messenger from God, spoke to them that there was a door open. How many times when you have a door open that God spoke to you before you saw it was open? Most times we don't hear a word from God. Most of the time we just wait for something to happen and say, oh, well, that must be an open door. Or, well, that must be a closed door. But we didn't get a word from God. That's dangerous, man. we got to realize that faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. And even in this passage right here, it's not saying that you can discern the will of God based on open doors and closed doors. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage has nothing to do with looking for open doors and closed doors to determine the will of God. It's What it's saying is there's a fact. Here's a fact, is uh, church. Here's a fact, church of the Philadelphia. I have opened a door for you. Go through this door. He was saying, I opened this door, go through this door. He was speaking to them a word. But most people, when they believe in this thing, they're like, if the door doesn't open, it must not be from God. That's not how it works, man. you got to hear God. This is, man, we have like a whole generation in church, I think, that, that believes they can't hear it from God. They don't think God speaks anymore. This is awful. The scripture says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by all things, he created everything. And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen, I was just talking about this earlier. The Word of God has can't help but talk. It's not the thought of God. It's not the meditation of God. It's not the dream of God. It's the Word of God. The Word of God speaks. Man, the Word of God has, nothing, has no other choice but to be spoken. So if you put the word of God into your heart when you receive him as Lord and Savior of your life, he will speak to you. But the problem is we don't believe God speaks to us. We believe that God's just left us all alone. Where's God? Well, you can't hear him because you're not listening. You know, it's because we're not intimate. We can't sit still long enough to hear his voice. Scripture says my sheep hear my voice. 
and strangers they will not follow. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Lion Ministries podcast. If you like that teaching and you want more, go to our website at boldasalionministries.com. At the top of that page, you'll see a button that says Teaching and Discipleship. Click on that. We've got free MP3s. we got free PDFs. Download as much of it as you want. Also, if you like what we're doing here and you want to see more, you want to hear more, consider becoming a monthly sponsor. Right now, we're running a campaign called Project 500, okay? And this is geared towards three different aspects of our ministry. The first one is the ministry planting and also the online media and outreach system. Uh, like what you're listening to right now, all of the funding that goes into that will go into uh, helping us with uh, media and also uh, helping us with planting new ministries. Okay, the next one is for uh, the Barracks Discipleship and Recovery House. We have a drug recovery house, so if um, that's a that's a thing that's in your heart, uh, consider donating to that. Our third thing is our international missions organization called Ixthus International. It's a Greek word. It means fish because the Lord called us to go out and be fishers of men. So we're focused on those three things right now, and right now we're trying to raise 500 sponsors at $20 or more a month. If you can't give that much, maybe you can just consider making a one-time donation every little bit helps go to the website find what it is that you're passionate about that can help us help you help the world thank you so much and god bless